We'll be reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. I'll start in verse 10 and then skip down to verse 28. That's Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Skipping down to verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. There was once a middle school science teacher that was giving a presentation to his students on the properties of magnets. And during that presentation, he talked about polarity and reverse polarity. He, he talked about magnetic fields and the types of material that are attracted and or repelled by magnets. He even brought in some magnets and let the students uh, play with those a little bit and, and utilize them and, and kind of get a feel for how they work and so on. And at the end of his lesson, he, he asked a question in the form of a riddle. He asked his students, or, or he said to his students, I should say, I begin with the letter M. I have six letters, and I pick up things. What am I? And the first student to raise his hand shouted, Mother! You know, since 1914, on the second Sunday of of every May, our country has observed Mother's Day, and rightfully so, because as the not-so-funny story that I told on the front end demonstrates, we understand mothers to do a lot of things. Mothers take on a, a lot of responsibilities, and, and mothers do a lot of the, the dirty work that goes unnoticed by, by many people. And so it's, it's good, and it's... Uh, honorable that we take time every year to set aside a day in our country to recognize mothers. But we don't honor mothers as Christians because it is culturally acceptable or or commercially promoted. We do it because God instructed us to honor our fathers and mothers. And as I prepared this week for um, our, our, our study time for this lesson, I started thinking about the fact that throughout Scripture, God is always referred to in masculine language. If you journey throughout the Bible, God is always identified with masculine pronouns. God is always identified in regards to his relationship with his people. He is always identified as a father. And, and so I started wondering, Does a mother wonder if God can relate to her because he's always identified in fatherly language? And he's always identified in that masculine terminology. Now, I'm not trying to discredit that. I just started wondering, can we, through Scripture, find how God can relate to a mother? At the start of this lesson, I want to share with you three ways that I believe God demonstrates His ability to relate to mothers. The first of those is that the Bible indicates that God possesses the heart of a mother. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15 with me for just a second. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Here, God speaking to Israel says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God here declares His eternal love for His people. And to illustrate how great His love is for His people, He compares Himself to a nursing mother. When He says these, which is a reference to the nursing mothers, these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Nursing mothers may, may forget their child, but I will not forget you. He's setting a contrast to here that the compassion of a mother for her child is, is nearly unbreakable, but it's possible for a mother to grow distance from her child, to forget her child, to lose compassion for her child. He's saying, it's not possible for me. I will always love you. It's even greater. My love is even greater than the love a mother has for her child. And then if you skip over to Isaiah chapter 66 and you look at verse 12 and 13, God, again speaking to the children of Israel, says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God is saying to the children of Israel that he's going to be the source of comfort for them, just like a mother is the source of comfort for her child. In that passage, just like in the, the, the passage before in Isaiah 49, God illustrates his love for his children using an analogy to a mother and child. And then it's Jesus who would speak in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 37 as he approached Jerusalem. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Now, obviously, there's no reference to a, a, a human mother per se. But notice that Jesus compares his love for and concern for Jerusalem and its inhabitants to that of a mother hen and her chicks. Even though the comparison is not using a human mother, it still shows God's understanding of motherhood. That, that God's relationship to His people is set analogous to that of a mother. There's a similar statement made in Hosea chapter 13. A similar statement about a mother, and her, a mother bear and her cubs. God, throughout Scripture, uses the love of a mother to illustrate his love of his children. And so I sense in those moments where God uses such comparisons that he demonstrates his familiarity with mothers. He speaks of his own comparison to motherhood. And I think when Jesus or God himself expresses his love in these terms, He's demonstrating to us that he possesses the heart of a mother. I also think it's worth mentioning that throughout the Bible, we're informed that God, in fact, recognizes the hurts, the pains of a mother. 
See, I believe God's understanding of motherhood isn't just evidenced in his statements that compare his relationship to his people to that of a mother, but it's also evident in his frequent and diverse use of mothers in Scripture. God doesn't just present ideal motherhood scenarios throughout his word. He presents and uses mothers in difficult and even painful circumstances. See, there, there are those... There are those who have struggled to become mothers. Those who are unable to become mothers. And for those, God presents Sarah and Rachel, Hannah and Elizabeth as women who battled barrenness. And though each of these women mentioned in Scripture eventually became pregnant, thanks to God's intervention, their stories and God's sympathy toward their plight demonstrates His understanding of that pain. And for those mothers who have lost children, there's Eve, who lost Abel when he was an adult. And then there's Bathsheba, who lost that child conceived as a result of her affair with David shortly after he was born. And sitting among us today are some mothers who have experienced the loss of a child and the presence of these women in the stories of the Bible demonstrates that God recognizes and sympathizes with their pain. Maybe there's a mother here that's estranged from her child. Maybe there's a mother here who hasn't seen or heard from her son or daughter in quite some time. Imagine what Rebecca went through after Jacob had to leave home and she never got to see him again. God is aware of that pain too. Maybe there's a mother here who made the difficult decision to give up her child for that child's well-being. Well, God gives us the story of Jochebed, Moses' mom, and her decision to protect his life by essentially giving him up to be adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. God's use of that story shows us that He knows what you've gone through if you've had to give up a child for adoption. Or maybe there are mothers here that that have had to tackle parenting alone in a single-parent house. Think about Hagar with Ishmael. Or think about the the widow of Zarephath who Elijah brought her son back from the dead. God provides stories that show He is fully cognizant of the challenges that single mothers face. I reference all of these events, all of these mothers in Scripture, because I believe God provided these stories to remind us that He knows the hurt and the pain and the challenges that come with motherhood. I believe God provided these stories so that every mother can sense God's sympathy toward her situation through His inspired Word. I believe we can turn to the pages of Scripture and such stories show us that God does, in fact, know what you're going through. And what's most fascinating to me of all is that the Bible indicates God recognizes the love of a mother or understands the love of a mother. Maybe the biggest takeaway from the Bible when it comes to God's ability to relate to mothers is the fact that He personally experienced the love of a mother 
Because through the incarnation, through his experience in the flesh, God became son to a mother. So when Jesus was 12 years old and he got separated from his father and mother while visiting Jerusalem for the Passover, he ended up witnessing the love of a mother who, upon finding him after three days of separation, said, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In that moment, Jesus experienced the love of a mom who was desperate to find him, who was desperate to make sure that he was safe and well. But through Jesus, God also experienced a child's love for his mother. Remember how Jesus voluntarily fulfilled Mary's request at that wedding in Cana, even though his hour had not yet come. Remember how he arranged for her care as he hung on the cross, asking, or really telling, the Apostle John to take care of her from that day forward. In both of those events, we have an expression of, of Jesus' love for Mary. It's an expression of love, not just as the Son of God, but also as the Son of Mary. Now, I don't want you to go away from here today thinking that, that I've tried to emasculate God. That is not my objective. God is intentionally described in masculine terms, and Jesus intentionally inhabited a male body while on this earth. But here's the takeaway from, from all these references I've just utilized. God is always described in masculine terms, but that doesn't mean he can't relate to women in general and to mothers in particular. And that should be a source of comfort and inspiration for all the mothers who sit among us today. And so here we are on a day that our culture honors mothers. It's always been fascinating to me because since Mother's Day is on Sunday every year, there's always some association with it when you come to worship service on that day. I'm always fascinated because Mother's Day will always bring out one of our highest attendances at worship. Father's Day, not so much. And on Mother's Day, the attire gets a little bit better on those who come. And on Mother's Day, some churches, <laughs> sorry, Micah just said, I'm not Micah, Leah, it sounded like she just said, hey, there's Dad. On some churches on Mother's Day, there's gifts passed out. And there's special sermons presented. And on Mother's Day, we have a tendency to either preach about how special moms are or about how we as children should respect them more. And rightfully so. Because God elevates and honors women and mothers in Scripture and God instructs us to honor them in Scripture. 
But you know what we do on Father's Day? We turn around and tell the dads how bad they're doing. Well, I'm not about to sit here and tell any mother she's doing bad. Don't worry, that's not about to happen. What I want to do this morning with the, the little bit of time we have left is I just want to talk about God's expectation for mothers. You see, in light of God's understanding and appreciation of mothers that I just spent the first half of this lesson referencing, I think it's worth spending some time considering His expectation of mothers so that we might, in return, fulfill His, or his expectations with an understanding and appreciation of them. And so there's only two things I want to point out at this point. One thing God expects of mothers and fathers, you really can't check out and you can't sit here and say, oh, he's talking to mothers so that this doesn't apply to me. Because guess what? His expectations for mothers are basically the same as his expectations for fathers as well. But the first expectation that stands out to me is that God expects mothers to model godliness. One of, if not the most notable passage in all of the Bible for women is Proverbs chapter 31, which we read a portion of a moment ago. Proverbs 31 describes a virtuous woman as one who is hardworking, who uh, provides for her family, who serves those in need, who prepares for the future, who speaks with wisdom and kindness. Those are just a few of the, the uh, activities mentioned throughout Proverbs 31 that a, a virtuous woman engage in. But it's worth noting that all of these descriptions address various aspects of what she does, of her works, works that in the end will result in her receiving praise, according to Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 31. However, I don't think the emphasis of Proverbs 31 is on what she does. Though it describes many things that a virtuous woman does, I don't think that's the emphasis. I think the emphasis of Proverbs 31 is on who she is, which in turn affects what she does. Notice what Proverbs 31, verse 28 through 30 says. We read it a moment ago, but let's see it again. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Her children and her husband call her blessed and praise her, not because of all the activities that she juggles, but because she is a woman who fears the Lord. It is who she is that is remembered long term, rather than what she did. And remember, this proverb begins back in verse 10 by saying, who can find a virtuous wife? Not who can find a busy wife. Another translation says, who can find a wife of noble character? That's the emphasis of Proverbs 31. And when you grasp that distinction, the, the distinction that Proverbs 31 woman is virtuous not because of what she does, but because of who she is, it will change the way you look at things. It will make you realize that what you do is not as important as who you are. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. 
I am not saying that you can do sinful things and it's okay as long as you're a good person on the inside. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that your character matters more than your activities. Your children will learn more from your character than from your ability to juggle the family's calendar and keep all the plates spinning. 20 years from now, your children may not remember how much you got done, but they will remember your character. Yes, moms must do a lot of things, but moms must first be the right person. What you do is not nearly as important as who you are. Never let the hustle and bustle of life prevent you from maintaining your godly character. Remember, godly character is so powerful that Peter identifies it as the means through which an unbelieving spouse might be converted. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, where Peter says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Did you catch that last part? Not only did Peter say your godly character has the power to convert an unbelieving spouse, but he also said that your godly character is of great worth in God's sight. Peter is saying that the thing God finds most attractive in a woman is her character. And as a result, he expects mothers to model godliness. But I don't believe that's the only expectation he has for mothers. I believe he also expects mothers to mold faith. One of the most simple yet beautiful statements about a mother in all of Scripture is said by Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, where he writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. In other words, Timothy, who is identified as, as Paul's son in the faith, Paul's co-worker, Paul's friend, Timothy was the godly man that Paul so admired because he inherited his faith from his mother and his grandmother. Now, how did Timothy inherit the faith of his mother and grandmother? Faith is not genetic. We are not born with faith. Faith is not woven into our DNA. And faith is not transmissible through osmosis. It's not like Timothy's mother and grandmother could instill their faith in him by, by simply making physical contact. Timothy's mother and grandmother passed on their faith to Timothy through a spiritual education. They taught him God's word. Notice, notice what Paul says later in that same letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. 
We can infer from these words of Paul that Timothy's education in the Holy Scriptures was conducted by his mother and his grandmother because Jewish parents were tasked with the responsibility of teaching their children not only what God had done for them throughout history, but also what God had commanded them through his law. He's learned from childhood, from the sacred writings. His mother and his grandmother were teaching him God's word from childhood. See, there's this passage back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, that identifies the responsibility parents have when it come to, comes to their children's faith. Mosaic law says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God gave parents the responsibility of teaching their children what he expects of them. And he says this should be something you converse about. This should be something you talk about. This should be a part of your everyday life, whether you're walking or sitting, whether it's morning or evening. This should be a constant in your household. And here's the thing today. Many parents want the youth minister or the Bible class teacher or some other individual to assume the responsibility of ensuring their child's spiritual development. But God didn't give that responsibility to other people. He gave that responsibility to parents. And I know I've gave, given the emphasis to mothers today, but it is an assignment to parents. Do you remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4? Words that he wrote to fathers in particular, but I believe to, to uh, parents in general. He said, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. His point is that your primary responsibility as a parent, as a mother or a father, is to develop the faith of your child. How are you doing at that? As a mother or a father, how are you doing at the faith development in your children? If you get nothing else from today's lesson, I hope you get that. Because if we as parents will do our job, the future will be bright. If we as Christian parents do our job, the future is bright. Mothers, you're a special breed with a special responsibility. I think that's why Solomon instructed children in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 25 to let your father and mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. If you're a child today, and I don't mean like age-wise, I mean if you're someone's child today, ask yourself if you're giving your mother reason to rejoice. That's a great way to assess your relationship with your parents. 
Because what Solomon told us is that we as children should strive to give our mothers a reason to experience joy. And we should probably do that because they already have enough reasons to worry. And when I reflect on that passage from Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 25, it reminds me that my responsibility as a child of God is to give Him as my Heavenly Father reason to rejoice as well. And you know what? There's no better way to cause joy in heaven than to become a child of God. If you look at the parables of Luke chapter 15, the lost parables, particularly of the lost sheep and the lost coin, one thing stands out is that when that which was lost was found, there was a celebration. Because there was so much joy in that which is lost being found. This morning, if you've never been found, if you're still in that lost category, you can bring joy to your Father who is in heaven by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is His risen Son, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. It's then that you come in contact with the blood of Jesus, and it's then that your sins are washed away, and it's then that heaven breaks out with rejoicing. Maybe that's a decision you need to make today. Maybe you are a child of God, but like that third lost parable, you're a prodigal son, you've wandered away, and you need to return home. The beauty of that parable is that when the son returned home, the father was just as excited, and he celebrated his return as well. Maybe you can assess yourself right now and, and realize that you're still living in sin, or you've returned to sin, or you're struggling with some spiritual battle right now, and maybe you've fallen away from the Lord's church, and you just need to return. The Lord desires for that from you as well. And there will be joy in heaven over that decision too. This morning as we gather here and we reflect on mothers, and it causes us to reflect on our Heavenly Father, the invitation is extended so that if there's anything you need to do to bring joy to heaven today, then we invite you to do that while together.